Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Sam. I'm the host. Thanks for listening. This week on the podcast, we have New Life Weekend. So at the beginning of the podcast, um, there's going to be several people's stories from New Life Weekend. Essentially, if you haven't been to a New Life Weekend here at Life Church Canton, what happens is there's a um, number of people that get baptized and they get on stage and share their story, um, their testimony of how Christ has um, met them and how Christ has changed them. And um, I'm just going to put a few of the stories in. Um, there's more than this that happened this weekend, but these are just a few of the highlights. So um, there'll be a couple of stories and then Nathan's message will come after that. So thanks for listening. Enjoy. Everybody else say hi, Angela. Hi. All right, they're here for you. Okay, here's my testimony. I grew up in a Christian home and came to faith as a child. In my younger years through early teens, I actively participated in church and went to Sunday school. As I grew into my older teens, I moved away from God and toward adolescent wants, such as friends, school, clothes, fun, etc. What I thought was great in my life was really only the very beginning of my black cloud. In 2000, my father passed away suddenly. Then in 2003, my mom, who I was extremely close with, was diagnosed with cancer. In 2006, I found my stepdad dead in our home from a massive heart attack. He was the man who really raised me with my mom since I was five years old. I was devastated. In 2009, brought my mom's death and a piece of me died with her. In 2012, my husband and I welcomed a baby girl. Unfortunately, her birth caused me to almost die on the table. I did pull through, but barely. In 2017, our home caught fire and was a total loss. This year, in 2019, about two months ago, my husband filed for divorce. I pretty much lost everything in my life at this point except for my daughter. So with all that has happened in my life, I I felt lost and hopeless with nowhere to turn. I joined a Christian-based divorce group. The thought of bringing God back into my life actually put a smile on my face for the first time in a long time. I said, yes, this is what I need. I knew I had somewhere to turn all along. I had just overlooked him. I invited Christ into my life, and I started to pray again. I came here to Life Church for the fall festival with my daughter. I felt a sense of peace while being here. I was overwhelmed with the happiness with how friendly everyone was. I felt even closer to God and enjoyed being surrounded by people who felt like I did. I reached out online. Right away, I started receiving phone calls, emails and texts from so many people here. They were reaching out. Little did they know how much I truly needed and wanted all of this. All of my feedback was Jesus telling me, I'm here, I always have been. You overlooked me and that's okay. You needed me then and didn't reach out. You are reaching out now and I am answering you. I, Angela, am accepting his help. I want and need him full time forever. I hear you, God. You are speaking loud and clear to me. It is time for me to get rid of my black cloud, which was always joked about, but in reality, it was never really funny. I look back and it's it's a very scary reality. I want the sun shining down on me instead. 
I've asked and he's answering me. Baptism is my new beginning. Jesus is my number one from here on out. I've never felt that I have nowhere to turn or I will never feel that I have nowhere to turn or hopeless again. I have Jesus and the community here at Life Church. I know my situation, divorce, will get handled, but now I can honestly say I'm not lost, scared, or lonely. I know that Jesus and I got this for my daughter, Caitlin, as well. We will, he will help me through it all, and I already feel like a lot of weight has been lifted off of my shoulders. The black cloud is being pushed away by sunshine. Amen. We got one more. Everybody say hi, Nick. Here we go, bud. Hello. Hi, uh, I'm Nick Engler, 34-year-old carpenter and father of one. I was brought up Catholic, but I never really had a real relationship with Jesus. Uh, growing up, my family moved often, and because I was constantly starting over, I developed a super strong habit of letting my need for acceptance and belonging motivate pretty much every action. Uh, I developed a pretty severe drug and alcohol problem in my early 20s. I lost friends and family members due to overdose and suicide and I figured it was only a matter of time for me. Days, uh, oh, this is mixed up. <laughs> they took some. So basically, <laughs> as I walked to my car one morning, it was winter time and things were really bad in my life. Uh, it was a real weird thing, I tell you, and everything was physical, I saw it. The exhaust fumes from my truck were coming out the street light was right there, and there was a street sign right there. And the shadow of a cross was like right in the big cloud of exhaust fumes. And it was super legit, and it was really explainable by the physical things that were right there, but it stuck with me all day long. Um, that day was the day that every single person that I met at work mentioned how much Jesus loved us, told me to have a blessed day, was wearing a cross. Just that stuff just stuck with me all day long, and it was kind of drilling at me. Um, I received the first ultrasound picture of my son that afternoon, and I tucked it into the corner of the uh, touchscreen of my car radio. And at that moment, an ultrasound picture looked absolutely nothing like a baby to me. It was a blob. When I got into my car that night, after one of the worst days, uh, as far as that stuff goes, I pulled up and I turned on my headlights. When the, the radio screen lit up, it backlit that ultrasound picture. And if you've never seen a backlit ultrasound picture, that's when it looks like a baby. I instantly bust into tears, and I knew at that moment I had to do something, so I started begging God for help. And it hit me. My whole entire life, all this trouble I got into, everything that happened was because I was chasing acceptance. And Jesus has already accepted me, and he already loves me. So. Fully feeling the love and acceptance of Christ in that moment, I started living the way I always wanted to live, and I made the commitment to follow him. Strengthening my relationship with Jesus is what led me to Life Church. I want to thank every single person I've interacted with since I've been here, because you all have influenced me in such a positive way. Happy to say, I am 34. I have a happy son. He's four years old, and we've made it this far. Future's looking good. Don't really know what it holds for me, but I'm really happy to have one. And I'm overjoyed to be an active member of this community, this church, to help serve God's people and raise my son to love Jesus as well. Uh, as I look forward, I just want Jesus to provide me with the opportunity to use my gifts to help influence other people in some sort of positive way, any sh way, shape, or form. Awesome. Thanks, man.
Bring it up, Susan. Everybody say hi, Susan. Hi. <laughs> my name is Susan Scavel, and I'm married to my wonderful husband, Chris. <laughs> I have three more beautiful people in my life my son, Daniel, my stepdaughter, Emily, and her husband, Casey. I was blessed to grow up in a family that attended church, read the Bible together, and prayed together daily. When you're young and living in a loving, caring home where all of your earthly needs are readily met, life is pretty easy. My parents were committed to raising their children in a Christian home. I never questioned the truth of the Bible, God's existence, or his love for me. The sin in my life was there, as was my understanding of my need to confess, repent, and receive forgiveness for my sins. When I was 11 years old, I went to Mount Hermon, a Christian camp in the California Redwoods, and during my week there, I accepted Christ as my savior. Over the course of the next 30 years, my life took a number of twists and turns, and I found myself more and more often putting other things ahead of Jesus. Without even realizing that it was happening, I ended up in a very dark place where I never would have anticipated or imagined being. While I believed that Jesus could forgive the sins of my childhood, a lie to keep from getting into trouble or hurting someone's feelings or disobeying a little rule, I wasn't so sure that he could forgive the sins that seemed so much worse and more serious. Yet the realization of the seriousness of my sin problem made it undeniably clear how desperately I needed and continue to need a savior. I wrestled for a very long time with guilt and shame and feeling unworthy of his love. Through conversations with friends and family members as well as counseling and lots of prayer, the truth of the depths of God's love for me and for all of us became clear and I recommitted my life to Christ. While I know that I can never do enough or work hard enough to earn his grace, I readily and wholeheartedly embrace this beautiful gift on a daily basis. I never want to go back to that very low point in my life again, but I can honestly say that I'm thankful for that time of desperation, as the Lord used it to show me that his love for me has absolutely nothing to do with my failures or my accomplishments and everything to do with what he's already done for me on the cross. So. Almost 40 years after accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior at camp, here I am. Um, I've heard the truth, I've accepted the truth, and I've had experiences that have shown me my desperate need for a Savior and Christ's unconditional love for us. And today I'm taking a step of obedience by being baptized. I pray that the Lord will use me to encourage others. Welcome, everybody. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and hopefully you've already started to experience something. Um, we're driven by new life here, by this weekend. We're driven by this new expression of what God is doing, and I hope that you're starting to feel that, and we've prepared for you. If you're here for the very first time because you're here to see someone you love get baptized, or you're watching online for the very first time because someone you love is getting baptized, welcome. We want you to experience something. 
this fresh sense of joy and excitement that things can get better, that things can grow, that there can be hope through Jesus. If you came in for the very first time and you didn't know anybody here and it's New Life Weekend, you're like, wow, what's happening? This is the best weekend you could possibly come because it's all about what Jesus is doing in people's lives. And that's why we get up. That's why we breathe. That's why we go to work every day. For us, we're driven by this new life because it points something beyond us. It points to God. I love new things. Do you guys like new things? Come on, you're American. You love new things. They're like we're trained to love new things. And I got to do something new um, recently. I got to travel over to uh, South Korea. I got to go there for Korea. A lot of people are like, oh, you're going to Korea. Yeah, you're going to North Korea. Like, no, no one goes to North Korea and comes back. They just go and they stop. And I'm like former military, I'm white, and I'm also a pastor. So I definitely would not be coming back if I went to North Korea. When I was in South Korea, it was an incredible experience. Um, the kindest people in the world don't really have like, you know, space boundaries and anything like that, but the nicest people in the world only had one run in with this guy on the subway who like drunk yelled at me for four subway stops. I didn't know what he was saying. And then we took a selfie and I got off and I was like, good luck figuring out what that was tomorrow morning and like, and went, it was an incredible experience. I got to talk to so many people and I got to sit down and talk with this 90 year old man. And the reason why North Korea and South Korea are so jacked up right now is because they're still at war. They've been at war since 1950s, the Korean War, and uh, the North and the South, the communists, whatever. And, and this guy, he was a North Korean. He started out that way, and he got stuck there, and he was studying to be a doctor. And as soon as they found out, he got conscripted in, drafted in, he didn't want to, and all of a sudden he found himself the leader, a medical officer of a medical unit, treating people in this war as people are dying and they're marching towards the south, towards a city called Pyongyang, because the South Koreans had invaded with the help of the UN. And he doesn't want to be here, and he doesn't want to be part of this. And he's watching as the first column of people are returning, and they're in disarray because they got destroyed. And they're like dying and limping, and his column is just marching to their doom. And he doesn't want to be there. And he says, in chaos, there's an opportunity in crisis, there's a chance. And so he says, maybe this is my chance. And so he starts treating the soldiers who are coming back in disarray and keeps treating people and moving farther and farther away. And eventually he finds himself able to escape, but he doesn't know where to go. So he goes south towards the army that's coming north to kill people wearing his uniform. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. He crested a hill and he saw the UN paratroopers coming in, 4,000 parachutes at the same time. And he was overcome with awe and also this sense of impending doom. He's telling me this story. And he says, I climbed a pine tree and all night I wept and cried out to God as the army swept past me. Just saying, God, if you will save me, I'll be an instrument for your use. So he gets down, and they're behind him. He's behind enemy lines now. Even though he doesn't want to be part of it, he's part of enemy lines. And instead of just going south, he felt God say, no, go towards the army, the South Korean army, the one that could kill him on the spot or that could put him in the prison camps. So he goes, and he gets put on his knees, and an officer comes out, and he expects to hear the words, or maybe not even just be dead, to hear the words, all right, you're going. You're going to jail, you're going to prison, you're going here. And instead, he hears the phrase, we need you. Because you're 
a defecting medical officer, aren't you? And they're like, yeah, and like, we have people who are hurting. And they took off his uniform and put on a South Korean uniform, and in five minutes, in the space of five minutes, he went from one army to the other. Beautiful, amazing story. Well, he, were t- he got out of the military, eventually took off that uniform and put on pastor's robes, and for 40 years, he was the pastor of a church. Isn't that incredible? Powerful story. But what you don't know is the church that he started off with had 150 people 40 years ago. Today, it has 90,000 people. A man of apparent destiny. That's powerful. Yeah. And to meet this man, when you meet this man, it's like when I talked to him and I shook his hand, I was in awe because it was this destiny on his life that only God could have done it. And it felt like it was fulfilled, you know, 40 years, 90 years old, still climbing mountains and doing crazy stuff. But he had done what God had called him to do. But you know what was interesting when you talked to him? What kind of learning and stories could you hear from 90,000 people? Like what, what could you hear about the accomplishments, the stories? Do you know what this man talked about all the time? Jesus. This man couldn't stop talking about Jesus. When I think of someone like this, this man of apparent destiny fulfilled, I think of one other man in the Bible, one we don't talk about very often, one that's kind of a side note to a greater story, but he shows up in all of the biographies of Jesus. He shows up as this pivotal moment, and his name is John. So John was born to parents who couldn't have kids, and an angel showed up to his father and said, you're going to have a child, and you're going to name him John, and he's going to fulfill a prophecy, and then he has a child, and he names him John. That this, this silence that was all over the land where no one had heard from a prophet of God or for heard from God for 400 years, it ended with this man named John, John the Baptist. And he was supposed to fulfill a prophecy, a prophecy of old. This man named Isaiah, he he said that there would be a voice, a man who would come, a voice in the wilderness, and he would be saying, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And then a Messiah would come and change the world forever. And John was that voice. John had a destiny. Have you ever felt like you had a destiny? What would it be like to fulfill that destiny in your life? John the Baptist, a voice in the wilderness, he was a a herald, meaning he spoke about what was coming. His job was to end the silence of 400 years. And this man would have been the greatest prophet, I think, in the Bible up to that point, except for what followed, which was Jesus, that he was just a footnote in this. But he was such a big deal that people came from all over to speak to him. We're going to be in two of the biographies that I just mentioned, the two gospels, two of the four, that talk about Jesus' life. We're going to be in Matthew and in Luke. And it shows up in every single one. The prophecy shows up in every single one. And in Matthew 3, 5 through 6, we find out what kind of person John was. Well, John was the kind of person that people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, all that area. And they confessed their sins to him. They bapt- and baptized by him in the Jordan River. There's this interesting thing. See, John took his role seriously, and he lived in the wilderness just like the prophecy said he would. And I just imagine this raggedy man with crazy hair who didn't bathe, like the, the hipster's hipster, right? Like the guy who lived, he only ate locusts and honey or locally sourced and organic. You know, it's like 
this guy, and he would wear this like camel fur, which is definitely not hipster or anything like that. But he would come out, and I almost get like this, this like uh, you know old western look, where you look out and you see across the desert where all the heat waves are coming up. This man emerging with a cane, just kind of walking into town. And he just shows up, and he shows up to the Jordan River and just starts preaching to whoever's there. And then people just keep gathering and gathering and gathering. And then he'd go back into the wilderness and come out. This amazing man. And, and what I believe and what I can see is that he would stand in the middle of the Jordan River, and he would preach up to the bank to whoever would listen. The natural acoustics were there. It was pretty amazing where you could just preach in the water and everyone could hear you. But it's almost like this, like he would be down in the water, just like we have water here, and he'd be preaching up to the bank of people and people would be surrounded. We find out in Luke the kind of people who were there. The kind of people who were there were Pharisees and Sadducees. They were individuals of power and influence, the learned men, the people who went to Oxford and Harvard and all those great places. They were up there listening. And then you saw soldiers and officials People who were in charge of the money, people who were in charge of the daily lives, they, they were up there. And then there were tax collectors, people of influence for sure, but tax collectors were the bottom of the barrel, barrel. They were hated. The Roman Empire had come through and conquered all the people, and the way they subjugated them was by taking taxes from them, but they were smart, and they would take people from within the community, not their own people. They would take people, Jewish people from the Jewish community and said, okay, you're a tax collector, and your job is to go in, here's your group of people, and you need to get this amount of money from them for us. And they go, okay, great. How do we get paid? And they're like, oh, take whatever else you want. And they would gouge their people. So they were the lowest of the low. And we know that there were sinners and broken people and everyone you can imagine were standing to hear this voice and to get baptized. What a weird thing. Why are they going into the water? We kind of understand. Some of you may understand, even if you've barely been in church at all, you might understand what we're doing today, this baptism. But baptism back then was, it was symbolic of something different. It was symbolic of this return, a return to a promise. See, God had taken the Israelites through the Red Sea, the chaotic waters, and into the promised land. And a baptism was taking them through the chaotic waters and out back into the promise. It was a way to rededicate your life, to to feel sorrow for what you have done wrong, how you have not held up your end of the bargain with God, and to return to being sons and daughters of the King. It's this beautiful thing. And so people would come down. I I imagine that he's preaching. And just in the middle of it, someone would get down off of the bank, go out, get baptized. John would be like, go bang, up, and then keep preaching. It was amazing. That's how I imagine in my head. But this is a powerful moment. I wonder if we understand what that would look like. All these people would come to hear this voice coming out of the wilderness. Imagine yourself on the bank. Maybe, maybe you can't think of yourself in the desert. Let's, let's think about this message of repentance and what it would be like to hear it say, I don't know, at, at the river walk, okay, down at the river. So it's people are at the river walk, he's down in the water, and people are showing up, business men and women of downtown, the execs at Ally, the entire Lions team, since they're not practicing anyways, just kidding. They work really hard, and I'm just, it's a hard way to go. It's just they're, they're, we have to make fun of them, otherwise we're going to cry. Um, but I want the Lions to win really, really bad. But no, no, they come down. They come out of their practice. They come out of the casinos, and they're blinking at the sun because they turn, like, make it dark inside. And, and they're coming from, you know, the, the strip clubs in Dearborn, and they're, they're coming from the downtown places. The homeless are coming. The cops 
the firemen, everyone's coming, everyone's showing up, and even suburban mom and dads come out of their minivans with their kids, and, and the factory workers driving their Fords and getting off the bus because their Fords aren't working. And, um, <laughs> You, someone tell me that doesn't happen, okay? Like, and then we'll go talk about it. Okay, all cars break, all right? That's because our roads are so bad. Anyways, um, just throwing everyone under the bus or in it. I, um, so even the Canadians are coming over from Windsor, and they got their Tim Hortons. They, don't get, they can't really see very well because they're too nice, and they won't, like, oh, sorry, sorry, and they just keep moving back instead of, like, holding their ground. But, like, like you know, everyone's there. And you have this amazing experience where this guy is in the middle of the river. What a crazy person. He doesn't look right. He looks like a homeless man just yelling up at everybody. But people can't get enough. And then they start getting down. And you see a businessman in his suit get down into the water. And you see someone from, you know, the wrong side of the tracks getting down. And all of these people are equal in this moment. What would it be like to experience that? John was a big deal. Can you imagine people going in and getting baptized, coming out with all kinds of disease and they'll grow a third arm because it's the river and it's disgusting. And at one point it was on fire. But this experience, what would it be like? They asked him if he was the Messiah, but he says, no, all John could talk about was Jesus. In Luke 3, 16, he says this, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And he switches the conversation away from him and towards what's coming. See, he's a herald. He's got to tell them about what's coming. And he says, no, there's someone coming who's more powerful than I. And then he says something really weird whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. What's going on with that? Well, they used to walk everywhere, and they had sandals, and was dirty and nasty and muddy, and like athlete's foot's got nothing on the kind of things that were going on there. It was a dirty task to untie sandals and to wash them. And what he's referring to is, I'm not even worthy to do that. Now, I'll give you a little more context. See, he was a rabbi. He had disciples. People would follow him. In fact, they actually left him and followed Jesus after they found out who he was. But it was the saying back then, a rabbi would say, someone who is a disciple, someone who's a pupil of a teacher, they must do everything that a slave would do. They must do all the menial tasks. They must be willing to do anything, carry anything, clean anything, do anything, except to untie the sandals of their feet. And the inference was that was too far below them. That was only for slaves to do. Only slaves would do this. But where does John place himself? He says, look, I'm not even good enough to be his pupil. I'm not even good enough to be this man who was Cummings' slave. I'm unworthy to even do the most menial and dirty task. He's pointing to someone who's beyond. You think my teaching is amazing, says John. You seek my baptism. I'm telling you someone who's coming who's even greater. What would it be like to have this kind of reverence for Jesus again? This reverence for who he is and the joy that comes from knowing that he chose us. It's a side sermon for another day. But then he says this, he will baptize you, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Wow. 
What does that even mean? Jesus came to baptize your world with spirit and fire. No matter who you are, that's why he came. Spirit, this new story, this new life, this new power, this new thing is inside of us when we're baptized, when we follow Jesus, this birth of a new presence, this birth of a new life. It's something to celebrate, something to get excited about, something to tell people about. It was something that was done for us that we couldn't even do for ourselves. But fire, fire. See, when you get baptized by Jesus, he's going to get you lit, but he's going to light up your passions and your abilities and your skills and your hopes and your dreams. He's going to also, like fire, burn away some things, the brokenness and the baggage and the brokenness and the judgment, but also your way of doing things. He's going to burn it all away and give you this new spirit and this new passion and this new fire. It's a a place of purpose, a place of something new. And he's saying, get ready, here it comes. When we baptize today, we're baptizing and celebrating that something was done to us and for us by Jesus, that God has shown up and done a new thing. When we baptize, when we're baptized, we become heralds of this promise. We join John in speaking out about who God is is. When I was with Bishop Kim, I mean, he he met us on Prayer Mountain, which was an actual mountain that he was climbing at 90 years old. This man's amazing. But what's great is you have all these doctoral students, some of which are literally leading 5,000 churches in Africa. And the reverence that they had for this man, all of them want to just get a moment with Bishop Kim to shake his hand and talk to him for just a moment. But everything, that word that came out of Bishop Kim's mouth was about Jesus. And John was this man that people were just overwhelmed by, that unified people in a way that you couldn't understand. And people would go down into the water and be baptized and humbled. Why? Because he was amazing. But all he could talk about was Jesus. So what happens when Jesus shows up? We find out in Matthew 13. What does Jesus do? Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. What? But John tried to deter him, saying, well, no, 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 I I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Can you imagine what it would be like to be John? To live your whole life for one moment, one destiny moment, one moment where someone comes up and be like, oh, everything I've been talking about, it's him. It's him. That's him. Can you imagine what it's like to have this moment, this moment where all the destiny comes together, to have someone prophesied over you before you were born, that you were named for this purpose, and it comes, and he's there. The closest thing I can imagine is the first time holding my child or being a man standing up at the altar and the doors open, and my wife is coming down. That moment of destiny, that moment comes, and Jesus does something that he doesn't expect at all. He says, it's time for me to be baptized. Let it be so now, for it is proper. And John's like, I don't understand. I'm not fit to even be your slave. Why would you do this? Now, there are a million sermons in the why, and all of them are pretty accurate. It's not a million. That's an exaggeration. At least six. But there's six of them. And, and, and the answer is this, what, what does Jesus' baptism mean for you and me today as we get the baptisms coming in just a moment? What, what does it mean for us today? It means lots of things. 
Does it show us what we should do? Was Jesus modeling for us how to live our lives, that we should be baptized after following him? Absolutely, yes, we should be baptized. Is he fulfilling that prophecy of Isaiah of old for John and making a statement that he is indeed the coming Lord? Is he validating John and in so saying, I'm part of this mission? Yes, he's ushering a new movement, a new kingdom. And then all of a sudden, the spirit of God, after he gets baptized, descends on him. And he goes, and the voice of God speaks out and says, my son, yes, it's those things. But what I want to share with you today has just been crushing me. Because also what this is, is Jesus is placing himself somewhere. He's locating himself somewhere. He's putting himself in the same place as certain individuals. Everyone keeps pointing to Jesus, 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 Jesus. As the most important thing, oh, we got to elevate him, elevate him, elevate him. And then where does Jesus place himself? In the water. With the broken. With the repentant, the sinners, the humble, the contrite. He puts himself there. He puts them in the very same position. He didn't need to repent for anything. So why did he get baptized there? Because he was saying something about who he is. From this very moment, he has placed himself with sinners. This is who I came for. With the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the officials who humbled themselves. Anyone who humbled themselves, I am with them. With the humble, the broken, the brokenhearted. What does that mean for you? What does it mean for you that Jesus places himself with you? Because that's what we're learning today. And it's what crushing me, that Jesus would place himself with me. From the beginning to the end, Jesus didn't go to the people he should have. He went to the rejects. He went to the unworthy. He went to those who felt sorrow for their actions and realized that humbling themselves was the only way forward. That's where he went. He went in the water. Not up on the bank where all the elites were, where all the people who were good and were looking down on those who were sinners and saying, look at them. Oh, yeah, they need to get washed. They need to get changed. I'm up here. I'll watch. No, he puts himself down there. What kind of humility is that? What kind of savior is that? Now, Jesus starts his ministry in this moment. He goes out into the wilderness, comes back, and just changes the world. But I can't help but see the imagery in almost the exact way of how he ends his ministry at a dinner where he hung out with all of his disciples and with Peter, and they're eating. It's the Last Supper, and he does something kind of like this, something crazy, something scandalous, and they're all sitting down. They used to lounge on the ground like this and eating, and Jesus gets up. The person in the room that's the Messiah, and he strips down so that he can do some dirty work. And he starts to go to the sandals of his disciples. And he starts to take them off and to wash their feet. And you remember what this means. This kind of lower than a slave humility. And I imagine him just going up to Peter, and it says right in there, he starts taking off his shoes and he says, I got to wash your feet. And Peter's, Peter's just like John. Peter's like, no, 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 you can't do this. I should wash your feet. You're too good. You're, you're the king of the universe. What are you doing? You cannot wash my feet. And yet Jesus says the same thing that he said to John. If we don't do this, you can have no part of me. This righteousness, 
This is good that we do this. And I'm amazed at this moment of humility and servitude. And I'm struck by it. You see, as Christians, we think so often that we're supposed to meet God on the bank, on the mountaintop, where everything is good and everything's okay, and we've got our life together, and our relationships are okay, and our kids listen to us, and our debt's under control, and everything's good. That's when we'll meet God on the mountaintop. But Jesus doesn't meet us there. He meets us in the dark places, the place where we're brokenhearted the place where we're humbled, the place where we have nothing left. That's where the Savior of the universe meets us. In a moment, we're going to get baptized. We're going to have some people getting baptized. And for you guys, you understand this moment, this dark place, this moment where there's nothing left. And you realized in that moment, you needed someone to save you. You needed to repent, but also you need someone to rescue you. You know what this is like. In a moment, we're going to do some baptisms And it's going to be a baptism by the Spirit of God and by fire. The Spirit's going to empower you in new ways, and the fire's going to come, and it's going to light you up, but it's also going to burn some things away. And I want you to know that as you move forward, as you move forward, not to be surprised when things get hard, not to be surprised when God shows up, because that's what he promised he would do. Where do we find Jesus? Where can you find him? If you're looking... Where can you find him? Same place he's always been. We find Jesus in the water. We find Jesus in the place where people are hurting, where they're upset. And he calls us all to come down. He calls us all to come down to the water, to repent. Where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself on the bank? Do you find yourself out there with the politicians? with the physicians, with the policemen, with the people with power, with influence. Maybe you find yourself up there with the prostitutes, the brokenhearted, the tax collectors, the people who have screwed every relationship. Maybe you find yourself on the bank for different reasons, but the same call God has for you is the call I give you now to come down to the water because the only thing that is required of you is to be brokenhearted, to feel the sorrow of what you have done, And to come down and be baptized into something new. To die to your way and rise somewhere else. And Jesus is in the water because he placed himself with those who are willing to die to themselves. That's who he was. That's who he is. That's how we always will be. I'm calling you to an encounter with Jesus. There's a man in the wilderness who came out and said, come and repent because something is coming. And he's calling to you. To be baptized. There was a man who started off in the wrong army, on the wrong bank, in the wrong place, up in a pine tree, who came down and was used by God. And he's saying, give up what you have to experience a power that you've never experienced before. And you can stay on the bank, and you can stay up there with all your ways of living life, all the influence that you have, your little kingdom that you have built to make you feel safe and to make you feel secure. But in the night, at night, you know it's not enough and it never will be enough. Come down to be part of a kingdom that is eternal and is bigger than you. The call is for you to come and be baptized because Jesus is in the water and he's waiting. 
going to do in a moment is I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite people who need to make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time to do it. And then to come get baptized. I'll give you an explanation on how to do that a little bit later. We're ready for you. We're prepared. Don't worry about that. Focus on what God is calling you to do right now. But there are those in this room right now who've been up on the bank too long, who've been relying on themselves too long, who haven't been baptized as an adult. It is time. God is calling you. Experience something better, something that's incredible, a life of purpose. So if you could, I'd love everybody to stand with me. Just imagine you're on the bank watching all of this unfold. And for those who are willing to make a decision to follow Jesus, would you pray with me? Everyone close your eyes. Close your eyes with anticipation. Anticipation that someone right now is going to be giving their life to Jesus. And if you want to do this, if you want to give your life over to a man who would place himself with you for a life of purpose, all you need to do is talk to God. And I'm going to help you do that. You can pray out loud or in your heart, but make these words your own. Father, I am broken. I have some sorrow inside of me. And I know I can't make my life right. I need someone to rescue me. And I believe that someone is Jesus that he placed himself beside me and that he wants to give me something new, a rebirth in power and in fire. I know it has to be done for me, that I can't do it for myself. So I ask Jesus to transform me now, to give me new life, to give me new purpose and new fire, change me and I will follow him the rest of my days amen if you made that decision we're so excited you got to tell us about it and it may be your time today to get baptized we're ready for you and I encourage those who are feeling that tug from God's heart that it's time for you to get baptized as an adult you haven't before that when I ask you to come, that you come down to the water and meet Jesus as well. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, text I'm new to 734-349-3475 or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts And if you're enjoying it, please share it with someone and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.